This week on the programme, I would like you to join me for something very appetising, a serving of tasty audio courtesy of the siblings behind one of the best and brightest names in London hospitality. JKS Restaurants is pretty much an institution here in the UK capital, having built up over the last decade and a half or so a group of decorated restaurants, delivery and retail brands, including those created by its founders, the SETI family, and those by their partners, whom the family invest in. It's quite the roll call with names like Jim Carner, Trishna, Bow and Hoppers, to name but a few. Since April, though, eyes and whetted appetites have been focused on something new, the freshly reopened Arcade Food Hall, the latest go-to drinking, dining and entertainment hotspot at London's famous landmark Centrepoint in the heart of the West End. So how did the siblings get here? Why the diverse and dazzling combo of Southern Thai, Northern Indian, a shawarma kitchen, diner-style food, Indonesian street food, day and night deli, sushi, omakase and more? How has this family that's already more or less revolutionised the food scene in the capital weathered the great challenges of the last couple of years and indeed come out even stronger and hungrier to get stuck into the next course? Well, I'm delighted to welcome the members of this culinary supergroup, the SETI siblings, Jotin, Karam, Sunaina, to Midori House to explain. This is The Entrepreneurs with me, Tom Edwards. Joe, Karam, Sue, wonderful to have you back at Monocle, just around the corner indeed from your own HQ. Before we talk about Arcade Food Hall and the rest, I just wanted to ask you a little bit about the dynamics amongst you guys, you three as a group, as colleagues, but of course also as siblings. How do you work together? Is it a bit of divide and conquer? Do you stick to your respective specialisms? How does it work? The reason the relationship between the three of us works pretty well is because we have quite distinct okay. roles and responsibilities. So I run the, the business overall as CEO. Karam's obviously on the creative side, food, brand creation and interior design. And Sue, who's recently come back post-maternity leave, is responsible for people and beverage. So there's overlap because we're all you know, obsessed with the business. But at the same time, we have quite distinct roles, which means we don't overlap too much, which means uh, we can stay out of each other's way. <laughs> yeah, well, you, everyone's, everyone's kind of smiling about that. And do you think that you, I don't know, knew at the outset what you'd each respectively could bring or could best focus on? Or have you? has there been a bit of like learning kind of on the job for each of you as well as it's grown and become more and more successful? So when we started in 2008, when we opened Trishna, just down the road on Blanford Street, it was myself. So then I was still at university. Joe had a day job with Barclays. It was only until 2011 when Sunena joined after university as the sommelier at Trishna. And then she turned into the restaurant manager pretty soon afterwards. The roles kind of just set themselves. I was in the kitchen at Trishna. She was front of house. And then within, I think, a year, we'd won a mission star. So the roles were kind of very clear and they kind of organically kind of fell in place, basically. Yeah, I'm always intrigued by... The, the idea of kind of organic growth, because it feels or it sounds or it could seem almost to be not lucky. I suppose you always need a bit of luck, um, but I guess you need luck and you need tons of talent and hard graft and all the rest of it. But I like this idea. Did it feel, it's, it's obviously a sort of family business, but has it changed what kind of family business that it feels like as it's got bigger? I guess if you're working in the kitchen in front of house and you're kind of collaborating in such close proximity, then it really will feel like that. Does it still have the same feel now that it's got... Because it's, it's pretty big now. When we first started out and when we eventually all merged in coming into the business together, from the outset, it's not like all three of us were in it together. Joe and Karim 
very much sort of started the business and I the intention was not for me to join initially but then when I did it was firstly going to be temporary and then it kind of turned into okay well here we are 12 years later or whatever and in that it's quite because it is a family business you end up just doing what you have to do sort of thing you know so as he mentioned I started off as you know just on the floor and then saw that there was a gap in the sort of on the beverage side in the restaurant so did what I needed to do to try and fill that gap and then as we grew it was okay it's not your focus and your expertise needs to be a little bit more holistic and overseeing a few more things as opposed to just being the manager of one restaurant as an example right so I think as you grow you realize what you need to do as the business owners to plug gaps and to make sure that you know the right areas have the right focus on them. And let's talk a bit about the specific business challenge of that growth story, because I guess when you've got one restaurant, it's pretty easy to keep. Uh, it's quite urgent and it's quite immediate what you need to do. As you get up, you know, a dozen restaurants, a couple of pubs, lots of other brands. How do you retain the control? Because I guess part of it is, well, part of it's a people problem, right? You've got to get great people that you can entrust and empower so that they feel they've got the autonomy to make decisions on, on your collective behalf. But to keep that family vibe, those values... How do you do that? It must be fairly difficult, I'm guessing. Yeah, I mean, it, it, but it, it still fundamentally comes down to people. So people who think in a similar way to you and have the same values as you. We've also, the way we built our business on a partnership basis, often the people we've partnered with have been family. So James and Sandy are our first partnership, husband and wife. The Bao team, Shing and Whiting are brother and sister, and Shing and Urchin are husband and wife. So there's very much a family feel that runs throughout the business, both in terms of partnership, but also in the way that we, we want people who work closely with us to feel that they're part of very much an extended family. Ultimately, that's what hospitality is about, is making people feel like they're at home when they come into your restaurants. From a control perspective, it's you have to give up control and, and as you said, trust those people to have the autonomy and, ha and have the kind of empowerment to be able to run things and, and deal with things on a day-to-day -day basis. We wouldn't be able to do what we do today without having ceded some of that control, which is difficult to do. But you know, even going from one to two restaurants, it's like having one, you know, going from one, having one child to two kids and then three and beyond, which is a challenge, as we all know. But you need people to be able to help you to do that. Would you almost have done that even earlier in the process if you'd seen how fruitful it can be to get more people involved and to seed some of that? Or, or are you pretty happy with the, the way that those timelines work? Yeah, no, there's always things we would have, with the benefit of hindsight, that we could, could, could maybe have done differently. When I left finance in 2012, which was four years after we started Trishna, I was the only person in the head office team. And at different stages of the business, you have you can only justify a certain amount of headcount and a certain cost of headcount, right? So the caliber of people you could attract and recruit and retain at different stages of the business in terms of life cycle mean that you're now able and willing to give more control because you trust them even more than somebody you were maybe able to hire when you were a very much smaller business back in 2012 13 where you had to be the decision maker so you know you live and learn but i think we've got to where we've got to today through luck through judgment and we're pretty happy with where we've ended up so yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't i wouldn't change much wouldn't but... change much well let's talk a bit about launches more broadly we're going to talk a bit about arcade food hall it's all very exciting i just want to ask you Sue, though first up when there's a new thing coming, a new launch, you mentioned there's lots of different ones, different you know genres and so forth. What's that like? Are you always, I don't know, are you nervous by disposition? Does that drive you to then make sure you guys between you all are checking off everything that could possibly go wrong to make sure it doesn't? Is it just excitement? Do you get to a point where you're like, eh, I'm pretty confident now. We know what we're doing. What's the sort of build up to new things like? I think pre-COVID, we picked up good momentum, but every opening is still so 
different and has its own challenges and things like that. And just before COVID, we had done, so in the beginning of 2020, we'd launched Hoppers and King's Cross and then literally a week or two later, we'd done the relaunch of Gymkhana post the fire, which obviously then we had to shut everything down, you know, a month later. But you get, I think when you get to that point where you're sort of confident about the way that things will work, but now post covid i think things are quite different you know mm. because well firstly something like arcade is something we've never done anything like it before so there are a million other questions and challenges that come to mind with that but i think you're always going to be nervous with anything that you launch right i think you'll always second guess yourself with things and you know you just don't know how you're going to be received ultimately well again i guess being nervous proves that it still matters which is pretty good <laughs> an important thing before we talk more about arcade food although we keep coming back to the, the the pandemic and joe you know just hearing the timings you know you get over they seem like these biblical things right yeah. fire then there's brimstone <laughs> pestilence comes it's like the four horsemen how have you endured through that you're obviously still in a pretty good shape all things being equal it just came from nowhere the idea that you could have a restaurant like that just reopening new launches planned and then this thing happens that is unprecedented it's probably at the time you wouldn't even imagine we could be sitting here two years later yeah. and it's still affecting everything presumably recruitment retention supply chain yeah. what's it been like these last couple of years stressful um, <laughs> right, yeah. in, in short um stressful but obviously given us a lot of time to reflect and, and focus on what we wanted to do how we wanted to improve the business it obviously highlighted how fragile we were as a business and as a sector completely reliant on a customer visiting our restaurants and spending money in it to survive. So we've had to develop alternative revenue streams. We've had to look at how we can make ourselves more agile. We've had to work out what's important to us and where we were weaker in terms of technology and sustainability and other areas we just needed to focus on the business, which we've maybe lost sight of in growth phase pre-COVID. But I think a lot of hard work and a lot of help from the teams meant that we could get through what was probably the most difficult trading period touch with that we'll ever face. If we can get through that, we'll get through anything. And actually, we've come out on the other side, probably a better business. We've addressed, as I said, those weaknesses. We've actually grown through COVID. So we, in the last 12 months, I think we've opened six new sites, more delivery kitchens and launched, obviously, the e-commerce sites, which didn't exist pre-COVID. So we've got many more things to talk about, many things to, to work on and develop. So despite it being stressful for us and, and all of our teams, we've come out okay on the other side and with a platform which we think we can now really, in an exciting way, continue to develop, continue to grow. Obviously, Arcade being a case in point, but there's plenty more we want to push for in the next couple of years. Yeah, and just on that point about you obviously show a great deal of flexibility, dexterity to be able to find these alternative revenue streams and pivot the business in that way. Maybe you were still just about small enough to have that mm. flexibility, but big enough to do it with some real impact. What about the sort of this idea of, you know, the theatre, the performative aspects, though, of being in a restaurant setting? I mean, Karen, you know, on the, on the sort of food side, does it mean that you recalibrate how you look at that part of the in-restaurant offer, particularly when you're then serving a, well, maybe the some the same, but also new clientele with delivery and, and, and the rest of it. Has it changed how you look at the kind of the, the theatre, the participatory part of eating together? Because that was how all the restaurants worked before, but now it's just one different part. Has it changed your attitude around how you host people, do you think? I mean, the core kind of values of our group are culinary obsession, genuine hospitality, and then, as Joe said, family values. I think we we don't really veer from that at all. We, mm. we stick to what we know and we plan everything meticulously. We're super detail-orientated as well. So 
I guess we just apply that to every new launch that we execute and to every restaurant that we we currently operate as well. So I guess with it's something we've always done. So I don't think we've really changed our course in that respect. I'm intrigued by the fact that so much of your successes to date have come from seemingly having a pretty good handle on not the next big thing because that would suggest it's sort of faddish which it isn't because it's got real longevity but understanding london as a as a market and maybe in the context of of what the food hall is going to be is there a I don't know, is there a formula? So, I mean, it's essentially we've had, you know, from Karima there, a pretty good reminder of what it is. But how does that work? Do you consider yourselves to be experts in what makes London tick from a food point of view? I think when it comes to the concepts that we kind of created and developed ourselves, these, I think Karima probably comes up with an idea a week or something like that, you know, and, and so, you know, dreams up some amazing concepts and things like that, which ultimately are created or made into things that and restaurants that we ourselves would want to eat in and i think that's you know that ultimately we want we as karen mentioned you know food is at the heart of everything we do but it needs to be the full package of the offering as a whole so not just the food the beverage the ambience the service and everything needs to kind of come together and i think you know arguably that's where our strengths lie because the three of us have different kind of inputs into these different mm. things. And so we can make sure that the right focus is on pulling it all together. We open restaurants that we want to eat in ourselves. And we're born in London, the three of us. And eating out was a huge part of our growing up uh, with, with our parents. So the five of us would regularly eat out. And, you know, it was it was great. We, we, we enjoyed doing it every week sort of thing. And we we're fortunate enough to be able to try new places and things like that. So I think it's it's a big part of us. Let me ask you a little bit, Joe, about... We talked on some Monocle programs, even to people like, you know, Big Mama Group, mm-hmm. say another very successful operator active in other cities. Does this formula, if there is a formula, I don't mean to be glib about referring to it in that way, could it work in Paris, in Rome, in wherever you might be? Or is there something again in that feeling of this being of and for London that is maybe peculiar to this market? I mean, that must be something you think about, I guess. I don't think it's unique to London. We very deliberately chose to build our business in this way, which is, as I said at the start, multi-cuisine, multi-brand. We never wanted to restrict ourselves to one formula. So I think it's something that's relevant not only in London, but it's relevant in, in major international dining cities, dining hubs. It could work in, it works in New York with the major food guys. It works for Richard Caring, also has a kind of multi-brand approach here. And I'm sure there's others out there who do it as well. So I think it makes life more complex, running a, a multifaceted, multi-dimensional business in the same way you do. But at the same time, it means we can innovate, keep pushing boundaries, keep making life exciting for us, but also our guests who are fans of JKS and want to see what's coming next. So I think if we were to ever look at international growth we'd look at it in a way which would be similar to the way we looked at it in london where we we would want to introduce not only one brand but multiple brands into a new york miami a dubai or singapore you know there's others out there in london who are trying to do similar because i think the, you know they, a lot of people have realized that opening a hundred of the same is not not the way to endear ourselves in the best way to the uk consumer and you need to have this kind of family of brands approach and be able to to offer different things to different people in different segments maybe of the, of the population but also to appreciate that where you are might have slightly different you know the customer sort of preferences and things like that so to be able to understand that in the local market and be able to tweak things slightly while still maintaining your overarching brand and values and everything else but to understand the culture and things like that so that you know you can tweak to fit in not it's not just a sort of lift up and drop 
approach. Yeah, no, it's, it's important to have that nuance. And there are many who don't even seem interested in considering it, let alone yeah. getting good at mastering it. Uh, let's talk a bit then more about the food hall. Very exciting, a different model. And yet you can see why this makes sense, I guess. Just give us a quick kind of couple of lines on exactly what this is. It's a happening of not too far from here. Another storied London kind of landmark, which is all very exciting. Tell us, what's, what's, sure, so uh, we, what's we, this all about? We opened on Friday the 22nd of April in the Centrepoint building, just by Tottenham Court Road Station. It's a global food hall. It has nine different cuisines. We have everything from American to Japanese to Indonesian, Indian, Middle Eastern, Nepalese. We've got a jelly and ice cream kitchen and then a kind of general provisions kitchen which is focusing on sandwiches and pastries which then flips into a negroni bar and a hamon bar in the evening and then we have a standalone restaurant on the mezzanine which is a southern thai curry and rice restaurant so yeah it's a real real melting pot of different cuisines twelve and a half thousand square foot space over 400 covers it's our biggest project to date and uh, probably the most challenging but probably the most fulfilling in terms of the creative side of it we've built the nine brands that we're showcasing there from scratch either ourselves or again we've partnered with like-minded people to build new brands which are unique to that food hall serving food that's only available in that space mm. and how much joe is it contingent on this fairly tricky to track idea of london you know coming back to work obviously we've seen that happen in dribs and drabs and there are days when it really feels like 2019 all over again but presumably with something on this scale with this level of ambition and complexity you're going to have a real kind of micro read on that nuance. How is that? What, what are your sort of estimates? How are things looking? And how confident are you that this is you know, the right time to take another big leap like this? We are big believers in the kind of long-term success of the, the, the London in particular restaurant eating out market. I think COVID highlighted how much people value that as part of their day-to-day -day lives, the ability to eat out and drink out. So we're we wouldn't be doing what we're doing if we didn't have a fundamental belief that I was here to very much stay and continue to thrive and grow. People obviously want quality, they want great food, great experience, great hospitality, uh, which is what the group's all about. So, And what we're trying to do in the arcade is, is bring all of those elements together. Clearly with a, a venue of that scale, 400 seater, you need to appeal to, to everybody from the corporate office worker, the tourist, the weekend consumer. So we've got broad appeal, which we do through multi-cuisine through the pricing being relatively accessible and look so far so good the early signs are very encouraging that it will be a success but time will tell i think the the other thing that's really exciting for us as a group is it allows us to not i wouldn't say experiment but test you know relationships with partners in, in new cuisines and in, in, in launching new brands which all might take a life of their own having been incubated and seeded in, in arcade food also hugely exciting a lot of hard work has gone into it from everybody across the group but our biggest and as, as karim said probably most challenging project that we've pulled together today we've been working on it 18 months and it's finally great to see it come to fruition i love the idea of that's kind of taking shape during a pandemic yeah somebody's idea or collectively to say do you know what we could start doing now yeah, <laughs> it yeah. just seems counterintuitive but then genius mm -hmm. if the timings work we'll, we'll watch this place on just on the idea of what you guys like in a restaurant so do you have a i don't know if it was like a fantasy restaurant i'll say you can't choose one of your own because that's too easy what do you look for is it about the warmth of that welcome is it a small venue is it just a handful of covers are you able to bring those things that you'd like to see in your fantasy favorite restaurant into the restaurants and brands that you come up with or do you have to try and separate the things you specifically personally like from what's pragmatic from a business point of view for me a lot of it boils down to how you feel when you're sat in that restaurant and it can be anything from you know like the grand sites 
the huge spaces but if done really well and with the right lighting vibe decor but again like you mentioned warmth the welcome warmth of server down to your local high street italian restaurant which you could achieve a very similar thing with but you know in a much cozier sort of environment so i think a lot of it is down to how you feel sitting in that room and then ultimately how you're made to feel by the hospitality and the and, and the service around it you know obviously the food there's certain restaurants that you might go to you know, purely for the food. And like, we love going to your, you know, dive hole in the wall type restaurants as well. So very different occasions that you'd go for. And I think that's kind of reflected in the different restaurants that we've opened as well. They're kind of, you know, they tick different boxes for different occasions, depending upon what you feel like having, what occasion you might be going for or whatever. For me, so much of it is just, is just that space and the feeling you get when you're mm. in that space. And that's kind of where, where I would, I would start thinking about where I'd want to go. Um, Karen, let me ask you the same question as the kind of the, the creative vision. Do you, can you only even begin this conversation if it's like, let me stop you, I don't have a favourite. I've got my favourite sandwich place and I've got my favourite. You have to, you have to divide it by categories or do you not even like to engage in that activity of choosing, choosing, <laughs> choosing favourites? Yeah, completely. I mean, there's something for every occasion and I guess coming back to arcade, it suits all occasions and it's such a versatile space that you can get the best sandwich in London, hopefully. You can experience some of the best Thai food in London in a separate restaurant on the on the mezzanine. And we actually have a separate eight-seat omakase counter in there as well. So you want something slightly more formal but still accessible, £45 for an hour's experience. That's available there as well. Or if you just want to come in for a smash burger, we have that as well. So I guess, I mean, what is your perfect restaurant and perfect restaurant space? It's kind of, it's very personal and it's within our group. I'd say Gymkhana is probably the one closest to my heart because it's where... Our reputation was built. It's kind of given us the platform to build the group to where it is today. It put us on a global map in terms of the, the noise it made and the, the kind of reception it received when we first launched it. But into, I think in terms of cuisine and experience, overall experience, Kitchen Table is probably up there with some of the world's best restaurants. And it's a bit of a, it's a lazy question, isn't it? What's your favourite? But I just can't help asking foodie types what it is. Joe, do you have, what, what, how do you, do you, I mean, I presume it's the same thing, right? You can't choose, you wouldn't choose. And it must be a thrill to be able to provide so many hints at different aspects of what would make the best restaurant in so many different <clears throat> locations with so many different partners and with the family. It must be a delight every day, right, to be able to do that. For all of us, we wish... We're fortunate enough. We, we wish we could eat in our own restaurants more than we do currently do. And it's, look, it's great to, when you, you know, with family and friends, the amount of requests we get to get bookings in our restaurant is really encouraging and seeing them all having a great time in them. I think, look, for me to answer the question, best meal I probably had in, since being in the hospitality business was kitchen table. Kitchen table is obviously an 18-seater chef's table on Charlotte Street, which we opened with James Knapper and Sandia Chang. I think you always have a, a fond place for the oldest, the oldest child. Um, be so careful, be careful, be careful. So Tr Trishna being, um, which we opened back in November 2008, just around the corner here, was where it all started and where for a couple of years it was it was a real challenge. But yeah, almost the most, you know, one of the things that's been most rewarding is, and we're most proud of is turning around what was a very difficult start to opening a restaurant having had no background as a family or as a as a trio in the sector we got through that and then i guess the rest was really history from there so christian table best meal trishna always have a special place in your heart jim carner yes karam as karam said for the reasons jim carner is probably the one i go to most because it's where friends of mine want to meet and go for for a drink and, and a bite to eat but yeah as i said everyone's got a different part of the story and every single one of them contributes massively to, to what we've become today.
I just wanted to get a sense from you on this. It's quite sort of vogueish at the moment to talk about cultural appropriation in cuisine. And you guys, it's incredible. You're so skilled at picking and choosing. Well, hey, do you think that's a real thing? Does it bother you? The success you guys have built is proof absolutely positive that great things happen when you pile in, you bring your own interpretation to something, you mix and match and you bring different influences together. You can probably sense how, how, I, how I feel about it. But is that a thing that you talk about? I mean, is there such a thing? Food surely should be kind of an outlier from that conversation. I don't know. What Do you, do you have a view on it? Yeah, I don't think we really talk about it because the kind of vision for any menu when we're working with an ethnic cuisine or a foreign cuisine is to try and recreate it as close to the original. So we're never trying to reinvent a cuisine. And for instance, we're starting to work in, with Thai cuisine and the questions come up a few times. And Luke Frell, who's our partner, lives in Bangkok. He's lived there for 15 years. I actually met him 12 years ago when he did a stage at Trishna. And his response is always actually, it's culturally appropriate because we're, we're getting our pace from Thailand. Luke has greenhouses in Dorset where he's actually growing lemongrass and kefir lime and the chilies and you name it in, in tropical greenhouses in Thai soil with tropical rain showers. So we try and do everything as pure and as kind of honest to the cuisine. And as I said, never trying to reinvent it. So I guess what we do is hopefully culturally appropriate. I like it. And it's nice. It must be great to open hungry people's eyes to a world of a world of possibilities. I mean, that's your view as well. As yeah, so? I think, you know, so much as well of what we do is making these cuisines accessible. We did it with Bao, with Taiwanese cuisine, which, you know, they started off as a stall um, in Nettle Market. And then we brought it into Soho and made it accessible and hoppers for Sri Lankan food. You know, it wasn't the first Sri Lankan restaurant in London, but sort of one of the first in the centre of London, rather than having people go out to tooting and things like that. So what we've done, I suppose, with a lot of it is, is yes, make it accessible, but also try to, I mean, educate is the wrong word. And I don't think there's that there's any level of, of doing that by opening a restaurant. But it's, you know, it's putting, it's putting things on the map and it's, yeah, really really giving people much more variety to explore and, and you know and the number of people for example after we opened hoppers a number of people who came in and said like you know we we love the food and so now you know we really want to go on a trip to Sri Lanka sort of to explore and experiment and things like that and then and then to more and more people coming in like you know we just came out from Sri Lanka last week and you know so it's really nice to be able to to be able to offer that as something that's easy for people to just get to. For sure look it's I could talk to you guys uh, all day and I for some strange reason I'm just becoming more and more hungry whilst talking to you <laughs> just quickly let's wrap up obviously people People are going to watch the space with Arcade Food Hall. It's so exciting. What's next? If we have a bit of a longer timeline, hopefully there won't be any more of those four horsemen <laughs> visiting for a stretch at least. And you guys can just get on with you know all your exciting work. Do you have, I, mean, I guess the last couple of years tell us, it proves that it, there's a, a risk of forward planning too far ahead. But, you know, Joe, you're the kind of business guy, first and foremost. Do you look at five-year timelines, 10 years? At, do you try and keep the discipline of just looking at one decision after another? How do you how do you look to the future? We look for us. It's it's never been about it's never been a numbers game. It's never been we have we want to open a certain number of restaurants every year. It's all about making sure we open the right the right thing at the right time and something that feels right and something feels true to to what the group's all about. Karen mentioned uh, Thai, which is you know, Plaza Kargang in in arcade, which is really exciting, and you know, a partnership with Luke Farrell, which we hope will will go places. We're opening another Bear and Jack in, in Borough Market at the end of May. So that's a brand that really has gone from strength to strength through COVID and is performing really well for us. We'd like to do something international at some point, no doubt about it. But there's plenty for us to still to do in, in London. The Marty brand 
nature of our business means that hoppers and bow and other brands within the group have got plenty of legs and there's, and we were not scared as we've shown to open standalone unique restaurants the likes of sabor gymkhana brigadiers etc so we'll continue to keep opening what we hope to be great restaurants keep challenging ourselves keep partnering with great people and i think there's plenty more to come from jkhouse very exciting this really is my last question. We talked all about family business at the beginning. With all the trials and tribulations, particularly the last couple of years, and it's not been easy, you know, and, and you, as you say, you're in great shape, but it's been a tough battle. If any number of the kids that are around gather around the family table from the newest ones or whatever it might be, if they said, right, we're doing this as well, would you be delighted? Would you warn them off? Would you say, you know, there's easier ways to make, make a living? What would you all say? If they're doing it for the right reasons, I don't think you'd warn them off, right? If you're doing it because with this industry you need to be passionate about it i mean i think as with anything but in you know something that we've we figured as well is that you know you need to do it for the right reasons and if they there's genuine interest in you know well why not i don't think we'd stop them i don't think it's something that you'd necessarily say yeah you, you have to take over your family business or you have to do this you know it's just like anything would be you enjoy it, do it, sort of thing. Great stuff. I think that's a good sentiment on which to close. Um, guys, look, really brilliant to speak to you. Thanks for coming to tell us about the journey so far and give us some hints at what the next few twists and turns could look like. It's really uh, a thrill to, to speak with you. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thank Thanks. You. Thanks. Cheers. Jotin, Karam and Sunaina Seti. Thanks to them all for coming in to tell us more about JKS and about their latest project. For more information and to further whet your appetite, head over to arcadefoodhall.com or to discover more about the complete portfolio, visit jksrestaurants.com. Ultimately, I tend to subscribe to the idea that the proof of the pudding's in the eating, so get along to any JKS outpost and tuck in. Strictly in the interest of research, you understand, I sampled the delights on offer, in particular the coruscating southern Thai treats at Plaza Khao Gang. It comes highly and heartily recommended. And the dry, wok-fried pork with chilies and long peppers certainly puts the hot in London hotspot. That's all, though, for this week. The programme was mixed and edited by Jack Dewars. My thanks to him, as ever. And, of course, thanks once again to Joe, Karam and Sue and all the JKS team. Listen again and find out more about this programme at monocle.com or follow and enjoy the archive via your preferred podcast platform. I'm Tom Edwards. Goodbye and thanks for listening to The Entrepreneurs. <laughs>